Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we started part one of an interview with Jeremy Roll, and we're finishing part two today. Jeremy is a full-time passive real estate investor, and in the last episode, we discussed how a passive investor evaluates an operator before investing with them in their syndication and how he evaluates a particular deal. And in today's episode, we are continuing our conversation with Jeremy Rowe, and we're going to be covering the pros and cons of investing in a few different asset classes, like retail, mobile home parks, self-storage, and office. Here we go. Why don't we jump into the pros and cons of some asset classes? For example, retail, mobile home parks, self-storage, and office. I'm happy to cover those, but I want to make sure that everybody out there understands that I am heavily biased towards cash flow and stabilized cash flow. That's what I target. So my perspective I'm going to share right now, if it's okay with you, is going to be from a passive, stabilized cash flow, more predictable investor. Let's go asset class by asset class. Which would you like me to start with? Let's start with retail. I actually have a number of retail investors still, um, and I've made over the past decade. Most are performing really well, honestly. I probably have about seven to 10. I'd have to go look. I, I am kind of like hyper diversified. So I'm in over 70 LLCs. A lot of small slices is, is the way I like to put it. And what I don't like about retail going forward is what's going on in the next 10 years as far as predictability. And some of the challenges that I see, which are some of them are continuing and some will be in the future, include are people going to continue to go stores or are they actually going to migrate online even more and more? And if the answer is online more and more, what does that mean for the retailer? So let me give you an example. If there's a Domino's pizza in a retail strip center that I'm looking at, and there's another one five miles away, which can be common, what's going to happen is Domino's going to say, we don't need all these locations. No one's coming to them. They're all ordering now and they're not coming in. They're ordering online. And we're just going to have a centralized manufacturing hub, okay? Because we're going to have self-driving cars in 10 years and it's going to be much more efficient. The cost is going to be lower, et cetera. Now you've lost that tenant. The consumer preferences and the amount of change that's happening in retail, and I can go on and on about retail. It could be like if we have self-driving cars coming up in the next five to 10, and I, I use five to 10 years because when I invest, I normally invest kind of with a 10-year outlook because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. often in a 10-year type of scenario. What's going to happen in five or 10 years for retail with self-driving cars? Are people going to be more apt to drive further to go to a location because they're not driving? And does that mean that the corner store around the corner isn't going to be as attractive anymore? Are self-driving cars going to make deliveries? You know, now all of a sudden, like Amazon's got this corner store hub, so to speak, and now the actual corner store is irrelevant because Amazon does it cheaper. I don't know the answers to any of these questions. The reason why I'm pointing all these things out is because it's not very predictable at the moment, in my opinion. So if you agree with that, then that is a challenging asset class for me. And I'm not saying I wouldn't make any investments in retail at all, but I would say it's kind of a second tier 
asset class for me right now because of the harder to predict nature of it for the next 10 years. All right, let's move on to mobile home parks. Mobile home parks. So I love mobile home parks. And the reason why I say that is because if you do your research, um, if you're not familiar with them, you're listening to this, you'll find that it's probably got the lowest turnover ratio in terms of tenancy of any asset class I could think of. I believe the national average turnover ratio for, and that's a big kind of high level number, I've seen it quoted as about 9%, which is very low. I mean, there are certain apartment classes that have 40 to 60% turnover, wow. you know, depending on the type of building location. So um, I love mobile home parks because of that. And I love the fact that they're serving lower income and that I see a need for lower income housing for a very, and affordable housing for a very long time going forward. So there's that predictability that I was talking about. You got predictability of demand. You got predictability of lack of turnover in terms of cash flow. And if you buy the right profile of mobile home park, which is very, very important, where most of the tenants are owner-occupied and not renter-occupied, you're probably going to have more predictability of in terms of having less problems, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? So I love mobile home parks. I'm in many investments in mobile home parks right now. I hope to be in many more. But I will say this. We're recording this 2019. I believe mobile home parks have become far too expensive. I stayed away from mobile home parks for the most part, with the exception of just a few since the end of 2016. That's when I thought that the cap rates got too low. And I'm expecting a big adjustment in mobile home park cap rates at some point here once we have an economic downturn because they've come so far. I think it's the asset class that's had the most cap rate compression that I'm aware of during this cycle. And therefore, in my opinion, it has the furthest to go back potentially. I love mobile home parks and I look forward to investing a lot more of them. I just don't believe that the current timing is necessarily good unless there's some type of unique pricing or scenario associated with it. Well, that's the first time that I hear someone thinking that mobile home parks cap rates are the most compressed. I just interviewed someone who does mobile home parks investments and he said the opposite. They're the best cap rates out there. So <laughs> I, I have no idea about the market. When we're offline, I'm going to ask you who it was. And I'm just curious, but I want to give you an example, okay? Because I've been investing in mobile home parks since roughly 2010. I used to be able to invest in what's called a three-star park in the Midwest, which is kind of like a class B park in the Midwest that was mostly or fully occupied between a 10 and a 13 cap. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was like not, oh, that's a great deal. No, that's like the market average. Okay. Right now, that exact same park is likely going to be between a five and a five and a half cap. Wow. Okay. I've... So wow. Find me another asset class that is compressed from a 10 to 13 cap to a 5 to 5.5 cap. You want to be really generous, a 6 cap, but I think that's even unrealistic at this point. And I will be proven wrong, I guess, but I just don't see another asset class that's done that. Wow, that's pretty low for mobile home parks. Yes. How about self-storage? Self-storage. So that's another asset class I really like. When you think about how the U.S. is changing from a demographic profile, we're aging over the next 10 years. We have a lot of people moving, projected to move to Florida and to Texas and to retire. And what I love about self-storage is that when people retire, they typically downsize. And I see there's going to be need for self-storage as a result when these people move down, or even if they're living there and they downsize, right? So in certain locations, I think they can be great. One of the big challenges with self-storage is that it's very low cost to build and it can be built relatively quickly. And so the barriers to entry are low. If you're going to invest in self-storage, the supply and demand factors in the market you're looking at at the time are critical because you may have a competitor pop up in a year or two that you weren't expecting. And the question is, can the market afford to have that and still be balanced sure. or not in terms of supply and demand? 
But I love self-storage because the turnover rates can be really favorable as well if they're managed really well, especially in the right locations. They're harder to run. So you've got to make sure you've got a really good manager who both understands how to run them well on site, but also understands how to optimize them. So for example, most people would tell you that if you've got a self-storage property that's 100% occupied, you're running it wrong because you're actually not maximizing the, the revenues because there's going to be turnover, et cetera, and you're probably not charging enough in that case. You want to have occupancy maybe in the 88 to 92, 93% range. It's definitely a different asset class that, that takes a different understanding and certain experience to run properly. I would say very similarly to what I said with mobile home parks, and this is my general philosophy across everything right now. I've been mostly on the sidelines since early 2017 because of cap rates across the board. I've been a big proponent of, of pushing my operators to sell. I've been involved in over 25 sales in the last two and a half years. And I've been waiting for a downturn. With one operator, top 40, I had four self-storage properties we bought between 2013 and 15. We've now sold three of them off. Currently have the fourth one listed, locking in really fantastic cap rates. I believe in self-storage, the cap rates actually peaked about 2017, probably. They adjusted a little in 18. They've kind of held steady in 19. But I think there's a lot more room to go as far as cap rates going up during a downturn. And so I'm waiting on that. And like I would tell you with everything else, like a market rate deal to me just doesn't make sense right now with where cap rates are in self-storage or anything, honestly. So I think they're great for the next 10 years. I think they can provide a lot of more predictable cash flow. And I think they're really good in the right markets. But I think the timing is challenging right now. I agree wholeheartedly with you. And I see so much nonsense out there. It's pretty sad. And I my heart goes out to investors that don't understand the nonsense and how operators are doing their due diligence and evaluating a deal. So I appreciate you talking about that. Yeah, by the way, that doesn't just apply to self-storage. That's across the board, unfortunately. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, I saw, yeah. I saw an apartment deal this morning that I was just in awe. It was um, several hundred units. It was large, but it was, it was Class C. Like it was actually written up as a Class C op- offering. And it was in uh, Houston. And the cost per door was something like it was either 101,000 or like 120,000. It kind of like just blew my mind that it's a class C property. So everyone's going to have their own opinion. But again, like to me, it just just doesn't make sense from a pricing perspective. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. And I, I tell people, number one, now is the right time to study and learn. And then number two, be really careful who who you deal with because a lot of nonsensical numbers going out there. Okay, how about office? So I have multiple office investments right now as well, but I have the same challenge with office that I have with retail for a couple of reasons. And we didn't get into one aspect of retail that's a little bit of a predictability challenge, which is the same in office, which is tenant improvements. When you have a tenant that leaves, typically there's some money that has to be spent to turn the unit and get it made ready for the next tenant. In retail, it can be quite substantial if they're changing the entire use. So let's say you've got a record store that's being turned into a restaurant, right? There's a lot of money that has to go into that. And often you're sharing that cost with the tenant up front. Same thing goes with office. Between the tenant improvement requirements that may come up if you have tenants leave unexpectedly that may come out of cash flow or reserves, but sometimes, you know, often the reserves are trying to get a balance between maybe some unexpected expenses, but it could be worse and it's coming from cash flow. And all of a sudden the predictability of cash flow just isn't as certain as some other asset classes because mm-hmm. of that. Office too, you know, with the advent of self-driving cars with people more telecommuting for work and different preferences like changing from like suburban to urban and back to suburban and all this, it's very hard to predict where demand is going to be for office in the next five mm-hmm. to 10 years, in my opinion. And so 
because of that alone, that puts it into kind of a second tier category for me. Again, with the right circumstances, with unique pricing, what I call like a no-brainer deal, for whatever reason, I would still do it. But office is very challenging for me on predictability for the next 10 years. In most cases, I would say the timing is also not good from a cap rate perspective. That's not true across all the markets for office, but I would say that it's still a blanket statement I would make. So there's some interesting aspects about office, especially with diversified tenant base and a larger building. But predictability for the next 10 years due to many different factors is not there for me. Would it be fair to say that your top number one through four favorite asset classes would be Number one, mobile home parks. Number two, self-storage. Number three, office. And then last but not least, retail. For those four categories, I would say that retail and office are the same. They're tied for third. I'd say the rest of that's correct. I want to say, though, that for me personally, for the next 10 years for predictability, my top four asset classes in general are mobile home parks, self-storage, apartments, and senior living. Ah, Those four Again, I think that none of them necessarily make sense today from a pricing perspective. And I think you've got to look at the locations carefully and the demographic shifts in the nation and getting at the right type of building and the right location. But those are my top four favorites for predictability anyway for the next 10 years. Is there anything else that you think is important that our audience should know? Yes, I think we've touched upon this a little today, but I cannot stress, you know, it's 2019, how imperative it is to be very careful right now. And it's a fantastic time to learn. It's a dangerous time to invest because you're not missing out on much while you're learning. And you haven't formulated an opinion of where we are in the cycle because real estate's cyclical and timing in real estate is critical. So if you haven't formulated a really well thought opinion about where you think we are in the cycle and what makes sense from your perspective, do not invest until you do that. Because in my opinion, we're in the ninth inning of a cycle. And that means that It's a very dangerous time to invest. And in fact, I ask myself this question now when I'm looking at an opportunity. It's 2007, you know, timing equivalent compared to the last cycle. This opportunity makes sense right now. And I have to be able to say yes, right? Otherwise, I don't think it makes sense right now. But that's my own opinion. So you've got to go out there, formulate your opinion, and just you got to do that to make sure you're protecting yourself and understanding where you think we are in the cycle. I think that's really, really critical. So just be very careful right now. Understand the market you're in. Understand what timing we're in and uh, get to know the asset classes before you invest. Very wise advice, Jeremy. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to help anybody any way I can. I'm happy to talk to you. If you're a new investor and just want to brainstorm, I'm happy to brainstorm as a passive investor. If you want to network and trade opportunities and just you know try to help each other, if you're a more experienced passive investor, that's great too. Anyway, I can help anybody. Don't hesitate to reach out. My email is uh, jroll, J-R-O-L-L at Roll Investments, R-O-L-L Investments with an S dot com. So jroll at rollinvestments.com. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to go over so much content based on all of these years that you have been an investor. I really appreciate you sharing all of these incredible advices that you gave us. I'm here cheering for you and all of your investments. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm happy to have been on here. Thank you for having me. And I really hope that the episode was uh, helpful for your listeners. Do you know anyone who may be interested in learning more about commercial real estate investing? Make sure to share this podcast with them. And also today, I wanted to thank our latest reviewer, S. Smith 93. He said, 
Great information. I'm a new commercial agent and have been listening every chance I get. Following Steph's journey has provided invaluable information that I will be able to leverage in my career. She brings in guests that are leaders in the industry and offer great insights. Steph is great at keeping things concise and lucid. I don't feel like she just likes to hear herself talk like some other podcast hosts. Happy to be part of her real estate family. S. Smith, thank you so much for your lovely review. You are right, I don't like hearing myself. <laughs> I'm a very curious person who is an introvert for the most part. And I'm always very curious to learn about what people have to share. Thank you so much for taking the time to write this review for us. I really appreciate it. And I will see you guys next time.